0: To ask you a question, and uh, it's kind of a hard question to answer. Are you a good person? Right away, we're thinking, well, depends on what you mean, right? It's it's a hard question for us. You know, it's it's different than saying, "Are you a kind person?" It's different than saying, "Are, "Are you know, saying about yourself, I'm a peacemaker," or I'm joyful or, uh, you know, I, I, I'm loving. It's something different. It just feels different to say, I'm a good person. I'm good. We wrestle with that. People have been wrestling with it for ages. Paul, in Romans 7, talks about this. And he says, you know, I, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, that's what I do. And, and this wrestling in his own spirit about being good. We struggle with that. I suspect that, that we, we relate to this, uh, this cartoon of Calvin and Hobbes and the, and the philosophical question that he's asking. If heaven is good and if I like to be bad, how am I supposed to be happy there? And Hobbes says, well, how will you get to heaven if you like to be bad? He says, well, let's just say I didn't do what I wanted to do. Suppose I led a blameless life. Suppose I denied my true dark nature. And Ab says, I'm not sure I have that much imagination. Maybe heaven is a place where you're allowed to be bad. It's a wrestling for us. And, And it doesn't help that we live in a culture that is... that that defines good and bad in ways that aren't always helpful to us. Now, we live in a culture that that is not shy about describing goodness. There's no doubt about that. We have a culture that's very clear about that's good, that's bad. And people are not afraid to express their opinions about that. We, we have no problem identifying certain crimes and sins in our culture that are perceived as bad. And we are happy for our judicial system that deals with those effectively. And we want that. But when you start getting into the more the nuances of good and bad, we struggle with that. We start thinking that most of the time good is what I want good to be. I, good is what, what I think is good and how, and honestly, good often is how I behave. And, and it becomes very fuzzy and nebulous. And, and so a lot of times the buzzword now is tolerance. And if you are tolerant, you are good. And, of course, when we talk about being tolerant, it's being tolerant about what I'm tolerant about. And then you're good. If you are intolerant about what I am tolerant about, then you're bad. And we, we see it all the time. And, and there is this sense of good and bad is about what I think it is, what I want it to be. It's all about me. And so when Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit, that people who walk in the Spirit, who are living in the Spirit, if the fruit that comes out of their lives is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness... Surely it has to be different than all the things we hear around us about what it means to be good. It it cannot be the same thing. It has to be different. And I think it's this. When I read through the New Testament read through all the scriptures for that matter, goodness carries with the sense of of self-giving attitude that becomes sacrificial behavior. It is self-giving. We are self-giving in our attitude. We are, we, our desire, our passion, our yearning is to give ourselves away. But goodness is not an attitude. It's an action. We have to want to be good. But ultimately, we only know goodness by what we see. You can't say, well, I, I'm a good person because I thought about being good we are good we know goodness because we see it in action and most of the time goodness is about our relationships with other people as we've seen through the through the through the spirit it keeps coming back to how we relate to each other what we do to and for each other it's about our relationships and so as we think about defining goodness it's about how we act toward each other based on how we want to act toward each other. Now that means, we talk about self-sacrifice, that means it's, it's not just goodness toward people that are good toward us. It's not just goodness that, that is the result of people uh, doing what we want them to do, thinking the way we want them to think, having the same perspective that we have. Paul says here in Galatians 6, the passage we just read... Let us do good to all people, whether they agree with us or disagree with us, whether they accept us or reject us, whether they bring joy to us or pain to us. Somewhere in the mix of that, we have this passion that we want the very best for other people. We want God's blessing on other people, and we are willing to sacrifice in order to see that happen. There are some scholars who who connect the word that Paul uses here, which, by the way, is not used very often. Maybe a dozen or so times in the Old Testament and the Greek translation and Septuagint and just a few, three other times in the New Testament. But it has a lot of of derivatives and and cognates that are used a number of times. But there seems to be a, a connection between goodness and generosity, You see this in the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 20. The parable of the workers in the vineyard. He goes into the city square early in the morning. Who wants to work in the vineyard? I'll pay you a denarii. Yeah, we'll go. So they go and they start working. And every hour or so, the master goes back to the to the city center and finds more people who are willing to work. And they go work. Even to the very last hour of the working day, there are some folks who, who come and work. And when he's done, he lines them all up. And the first people in the line are the ones who got there last. They only worked an hour, and he gives them a denarii. And the guys at the other end who worked twelve hours are thinking, "This is awesome. We're going to get a lot more than we thought." And as he goes down the row, he gives every single one of them a denarii. And get to the end, and these guys are going, "What is this? They worked one hour. We worked twelve, and they're pretty irritated about it." And I get that. I'd be irritated too. And if you're honest, you would be as well. What's going on? It's not fair. And what's the master's response? Are you envious of my generosity? Actually, the word, it, it, it's, the, it's the root of the word, are you generous of my goodness? And it, 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 they're interchangeable. It's connected. And you think about it a minute. If you really are good in a sacrificial way, if that's how we understand goodness, that it, cre- it is, involves our sacrifice, then of course it's going to involve generosity. We're going to be giving away ourselves to other people. We are going to be generous with what we have and what we do as expressions of goodness. But what does that look like? There are some things that came to my mind as I was pondering that. One of them has to do with what we do with our resources. What we do with what we have, we think about giving as a generous, sacrificial act of goodness. We give away, we are generous with our money, with our resources. We give it away. We sacrifice for other people. We have less so that people who have need have what they need. Our mindset is not, how much can I keep, but how much can I give away? We think about, we often we talk about giving in the church and we talk about the tithe and tithe just means 10% and, and we talk about that as what we ought to give to God and typically that's what we give to the church. We give our tithe of 10%. And I've had conversations with people who said, well, you know, the tithe is an Old Testament concept. We don't live in that anymore. We're New Testament people, so we don't worry about the tithe. And I say to them, you're exactly right, we don't. In fact, in essence, Paul says that to the Corinthians. He says, you know, don't worry about the tithe because the tithe is too small. Think about giving generously. Don't be limited by by the ceiling of 10%. Think about giving generously. At the very least, that ought to be the minimum that you give of what you have. And it doesn't matter how much or how little we have. It's this attitude, the spirit and the willingness and the action to give. And instead of the mindset of how little can I give and still be okay with God. We instead ask ourselves how how much can I give and. Still exist. How much can I give to God and his kingdom and people in need and and still have enough to, to live my life? That's the mindset of people who are walking in the spirit as we think about goodness and expressing goodness in action to other people with what we have. I think about ministry, about service. Again, as an act of generous, sacrificial goodness. When we think about serving other people, about, about doing ministry, often the conversation moves to our gifts. And, and it's good. We, we've, there are tons of uh, instruments you can use to, to figure out what are your spiritual gifts. And we, probably a lot of us, have taken those inventories through the years. And, and they, they narrow down a focus of these are your spiritual gifts. And, and that's a good thing. But what I find often ends up happening is when we find out what our spiritual gifts are, the next step is we step back and we just wait for that perfect thing to come along that fits our gifts. And all the while, all kinds of needs and things are going flying by us. But because they don't fit that narrow window we've created because of our gifts, we don't worry about them. It's not my gift, so I don't do it. And quite frankly, what does that have to do with it? When we are walking in the spirit and we are living with this mindset of, of expressing the goodness of God, it doesn't matter if it's our spiritual gifts or not. There's a need. I can do something about that. Go do it. And it might not be in the area of giftedness. It might really challenge you and stretch you and put you in a position that's very uncomfortable. But doesn't God tend to work in those times mostly anyway? And, and how we serve, what we do, how we, what, what kind of ministry we, we are performing sacrificially, giving generously of our time and our energy and the the efforts that we have and the gifts and the talents that God has given us. We give those away. We use them. And instead of a mindset of thinking about the church, of how can the church and God's people serve me, we turn that around. How can I serve the church, the kingdom, God's people, the world? service becomes a means of of expressing the fruit of goodness through the Spirit in our lives. I also think prayer plays a role here as well. Now we, we tend to, we might think, what does prayer have to do with this? Because we tend to think of prayer as something we do when we feel like it or when it's a part of our schedule. You know, we feel, we're, we feel something and so we, we offer a prayer. Or it's our devotional time and that's when we pray. And those are both good. We ought to do that. But somewhere in the dynamic of prayer, there, there, is, there is a willingness to extend ourselves for other people. If you have ever prayed passionately. And for a length of time for people, when you, when you arise from those prayers, there is, a, there is a, a joy and a sense of being in God's presence. There's also a sense of exhaustion that goes along with that. Because if we really give ourselves to intercession and we, we take on the burdens and the concerns and the needs of others, it's going to sap our energy and our strength. I mean, with Jesus, he's praying in the garden, and his sweat is like drops of blood. And the sacrifice and the generosity of prayer, it's more than just a momentary feeling. It's bigger than that, it's deeper than that. And that's why we continue to offer these prayer vigils. Because there are opportunities in these three weeks to begin to develop some of this understanding and experience of praying sacrificially. I mean, quite frankly, to pray for an hour is a lot of time. And I suspect if you've been in the prayer room and you've participated in prayer vigils in the past, the first time you went in, you're thinking, how in the world am I going to pray for an hour? What am I going to do? And if your experience is like mine, and a lot of people who've talked with me that hour seemed like 10 minutes because we're engaged with God in that moment. And sometimes it feels like two and a half hours. And it's agony and it's difficult and it's stressful. But we still stay and we pray and we agonize in prayer and we intercede for others and we give of ourselves. And We give our energy and our time and our schedule, and maybe for you the the sacrifice of being a part of the prayer vigil is is taking a noon hour and coming to pray or or maybe it's coming in the evening and and missing a a, a television program you wanted to watch or or giving up an hour to read or or maybe it's coming in the middle of the night and giving up an hour to sleep but we we are so, we have such a yearning and a passion to be people who exude goodness in our prayers that, that we're willing to sacrifice as God leads us and as, as opportunities present themselves for us. Now, throughout this, this series, we've been talking about connecting literal fruit with the fruit of the Spirit. And today, we have uh, chosen blueberries as the fruit to connect with goodness. Now, you know much about blueberries, especially if you've been reading lately. They have, you know, become, come to the forefront of, of health. Blueberries have are full of antioxidants and manganese and and uh, fiber and vitamin C. And, and they talk about blueberries can, can help prevent disease. They can help uh, cholesterol. They can help with di- our digestive system. And all kinds of good things. In fact, a lot of people call them the superfood of fruit. And I want to, to connect that by telling you that prayer is the superfood of goodness. If we want to be good, if we want to, to, to exude and to, and to live out the kind of goodness that Paul is, is talking about here as the fruit of the Spirit, it will only happen through prayer, to engaging ourselves with God, being in His presence. You know, sometimes we think of, of goodness as a list that we check off. And it's all about the things, the bad things that we don't do. You know, we're not involved in immorality. We didn't get drunk Saturday night. We didn't cheat on the test. We didn't lie to our boss. I'm good. And, and of course, we make up the, our own list, so we usually do pretty well at it. And, and there's, there's, that's, that's not bad. And, and there's, certainly there are things that, those are things that we don't want to do. But there is this sense that Paul talks about at the end of The Fruit of the Spirit. He says, against such things, there is no law. It's not about rules of not doing these things. It's about freedom to engage ourselves in acts of goodness. It's about getting out there. It's about risking. And that is difficult for us. When I, was, when I was a child, we used to sing a song in church that I think came out of the holiness movement and, and out of the, that era of time. And, and the, the chorus was like this. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wide seas no more. The tempest may sweep o'er the wild stormy deep. In Jesus I'm safe evermore. Now, I like that song. I love the melody of that song. I like the harmonies of that song. I remember my grandmother playing that, that record on her hi-fi stereo in the 60s. And listening to the Haven of Rest Quartet. And, and, I, and I love the imagery of, of being safe in Jesus. But the more I ponder the words of that song, the more troubling they become to me. Because I don't think we were created and recreated to sit on the shore safe in Jesus. I think we were created and are recreated to get out into the ocean. We don't build boats so that we can moor them to the dock. It's a lot safer to moor them to the dock and it's a lot simpler. But what's the point? You build a boat so you can take it out into the water. But the minute you go out into the water, especially if you get out into the seas, all kinds of potential risks arise. You might spring a leak. It might be a storm that comes up and, and tips the boat. The radio might go out. All kinds of things can happen when you're out on the water But that's what boats are made for. And as followers of Christ and as people who are filled with the Spirit, we aren't made, we don't walk in the Spirit just to to hold back in the safety of this little wall we build around us. We're about going out and doing good. And are we going to fail? More than likely. Are we going to mess up doing that? Sure, but I'm convinced that God is is more pleased with our attempts at risking goodness than sitting back and doing nothing in safety. The parable of the talents. Jesus is getting ready, or the master is getting ready to to go on a trip, and three guys. He gives them all talents. Takes off. Two of them invest them and end up, with, end up doubling what they had. And the other one takes his talent and buries it in the ground. And when the master returns, he says, what do you got for me? And the two come to him and say, look what we did. We doubled our investment. We took some risks. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And the other guy comes and says, look, I didn't gain anything, but I didn't lose it either. And Jesus says, you wicked, evil servant. And he condemns him. If we're going to be people of goodness, it's going to mean taking risks. After all, what does it say about how little we trust God if all we do is think about safe? Think about our little checklist and never really extend ourselves. And all of it, all of this, this passion for for sacrifice and generosity and, and goodness, all of this comes back like all the other fruit to the character and nature of God. But the beginning of creation looks at what he's made and says, this is good. He is all about making good and doing good. And throughout the the scriptures with his people, they keep saying, God, you are good. Even when we rebel against you, you are good. Even when we reject you, you are good. Even when you send us into exile, you are good. And ultimately, God's goodness reaches its fulfillment in Christ and the cross. And it's through the Spirit in us that goodness comes out of us. It's not our effort. It's not our doing. It's Him in us. But... We have to want him to do this. We have to surrender our lives and say, take the soil of my heart and do what you need to do with it to make goodness come out of it. And that will mean pulling some weeds and picking out some rocks and chopping up the hard, crusty soil of our hearts, and that hurts. And I don't like it. But it's the only way. It's the only way to be who we were created to be and to know the joy and the blessing of his fruit. So as you think about your life, is there anything that is preventing you from experiencing the spirit of, bringing fruit, the fruit of goodness out of your life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. In this moment of silence, help us to hear you. Father, thank you for your encouragement, your conviction, your desire to to fill us with your spirit so that the fruit of your spirit may grow in us. We pray this through Jesus. Amen. Again, I want to give you opportunity to respond to God's voice in your life. There are cards. Hopefully, there are cards at the end of each row. Um, we may have run out of a few of them earlier, but I think we have some extras. I want you to take one of those, and, and today, I would encourage you today, write on it whatever God is saying to you. Maybe a word of encouragement. Maybe a word of conviction. Maybe a question you're asking and God is speaking to you about. Whatever it may be write that down and let's commit covenant together again to spend 5 minutes a day praying for the fruit of goodness to uh, to come out of our lives through the spirit. And if you would like to pray with someone today, the elders will be downstairs the prayer room, we'd we'll be happy to do that. I also want to uh, to also remind you about the prayer vigil and uh, you can you can sign up this morning. We the for those of you who may be unfamiliar with these prayer vigils and been a part of it, you may be wondering, what's a prayer room look like? How do I spend an hour there? And we have a video. We actually made this a few years ago, so there will be some things about it that will be different, but a number will be the same. And I want to, I want to show you this video. For those who have seen it, just a reminder. those who are new, it gives you an idea of what the prayer room is about and uh, the ways in which you can engage God through prayer there. I want to encourage you to sign up for an hour in the prayer room. We start next Sunday at 5. And encourage you to sign up today before you leave. You can sign up in the upper foyer, the lower foyer. You can sign up anytime uh, online. But to, uh, to do it today while you're thinking about it. And uh, I believe God is going to use this in powerful ways as he's done in the past. And I, and I really want to also encourage you to be a part of the prayer walk. I suspect that that's a new thing for most of us. But uh, God loves to to work in our lives through new things. And so I I hope that you will also be a part of that gathering and uh, that the, the prayer vigil will be a significant time, not just in your life, but in our lives together.